Hi everybody, I'm Dennis Prager. This is my home. This is my fireplace. This is my chair. <laughs> I'm getting silly and I haven't even begun. Anyway, this is the Fireside Chat. It's probably about number 70, which is a little mind-blowing when I think about it. It feels like I just started it very recently. And by the way, I want to remind you that even if I talk about something that might be in the news, and half the time I don't, but but about a third of the time I do, now I know a half and a third doesn't equal a whole. I'm well aware of that. I, I, I catch myself. But even for those that are about some news item, they are in fact uh, permanent uh, because I, the themes that I talk about are larger uh, than the uh, than the given news item. So you can watch the first one and it'll be just as relevant. Yeah, he's snoring. It's a service that I provide him that when I begin speaking, happily humans don't react that way or there's no question I would be seeking other work. But it's, it does work on, is, is it too loud? Is he, is it, uh, it's not okay, we're okay. I actually find it very calming, but I don't want you to get so calm that you join him in slumber. Anyway, I do want to remind you, this is completely unrehearsed. We don't even have a makeup person, uh, uh, which may be obvious. And it's just me talking to you and then taking your questions. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to, uh, so to speak, get to know each other. Certainly you get to know me and there's nothing formal about it, but it's about life. And it's my fireside chat each week. So welcome again. So I'm going to read to you what I want to talk about today is something that the, the president said, President Trump said, in his State of the Union address. He's, I think we should, you know what, give him a little push. I, it's getting a little loud, even even for me. And uh, it's adorable, but uh, I think, let's see what happened. Okay, Otto, that's the man. He's one of the best-known dogs in, in, in the world right now <laughs> as a result of this, because we get a lot of views and uh, a lot of people comment on uh, on Otto. Anyway, uh, the president said the following. I'm quoting directly. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. Get that? Again, direct quote. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. And when he said that, there was an eruption of cheers, not only from Democrats and not only from the women in Congress and in the hall, but from Republicans and men. Everybody just stood up and cheered. It was one of the rare moments that both Republicans and Democrats stood up and cheered. That happened very few times in the State of the Union address since Republicans and Democrats agree on, on virtually nothing. So this was interesting to me that uh, there was such an eruption of cheering. And it was interesting to me that the president even said it. I'm not proud that there are more women than ever before in the workforce. And you might say, well, what's wrong with you? What are you, some sort of male chauvinist? No, I'm simply realistic. Why is more women in the workforce something to cheer? If the president had said, more women than ever have a choice about whether to be at home or in the workforce, I would have cheered. But he didn't say that. He said we can all be proud. So here is 
to prove my point that it may not be something worth cheering about, let's ask this question. What if the president had said, we can all be proud, every able-bodied woman in America is in the workforce? Would that be worth cheering for? Every single woman in America is in the workforce. If we're cheering that more than ever are, it's 76 million, I think, the number. If we're cheering that more than ever are, then why wouldn't we cheer if every single woman were in the workforce? If you can't answer that, then my point is valid. Maybe we shouldn't be proud. Maybe it's not a source of pride. How many women are in the workforce who want to be in the workforce? Isn't that relevant? Is there any one of you watching? Is there any feminist? Is the most radical feminist a believer that every woman at work wants to be at work? Come on. If there's anything, feminists themselves have often said, well, of course women have to work because they have to work. A lot of them are, 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 are single moms and they have to support their kids or the, the, they're, they're married and they, they, the, the home they feel, that the husband and wife feel that they need a, a dual income family. So even people who really are happy about women working outside the house have to admit that a lot of women don't want to be working outside the house and are because of economic necessity. So why the cheers? Well, I can explain why the cheers from the Democrats and from feminists, well, which are largely the same, although they're Republican feminists, I'll come to that in a moment, because they have actually a central goal of feminism from the beginning was to have women leave the home and work outside of the home. Let's be honest, while they claim that they all they want is to give women a choice, the fact is, I mean, on planet Earth and not on some make-believe world, they really do want women to leave the home and work outside because there is a, uh, a sometimes expressed and often not expressed feeling or opinion that a woman who is a full-time mom, wife, and homemaker, that's just not on the level of a woman who leaves the home and gets a paycheck outside, no matter what she is doing. You know, a lot of the women in the workforce are not exactly doing uh, CEO work. A lot of them are driving Uber, and a lot of them are working in restaurants, and a lot of them are doing all sorts of work, all of which is noble. I truly believe all work is noble. But not all work is as prestigious or as desirable as some other work. When I'm in a restaurant and a, and a 65, 70-year-old woman uh, is serving me at midnight in some restaurant when I'm on the road and, you know, I, get, uh, I got off the plane and I, you know, I get something. I don't any longer. I now, I now do about, I average about 17 hours of fasting every day, which I love, by the way. It's, I'm not noble or anything. It's just... I like it. I have. I do have coffee with cream, but other than that, I don't have anything else. Uh, but uh, until very until about four months ago, I would be routine. I would arrive in a city. I'd be hungry, or I think I was hungry, as it turns out, and I would get a bite. And I always thought about the the you know the waitress working 
the uh, the midnight to 5 a.m. shift. And it's uh, something I always, you know, I always felt a little a little bad for her. I'm glad she has a job, obviously. I try to give her an extra tip to make it worthwhile. I mean, that's not going to make a big difference in her life, but a little difference. But I, I, I you know, I, I thought of my mother and I, you know, my mother worked. My mother worked uh, her whole life, but she retired at a given age, maybe at 60 or so, whatever it was. I don't know. If my mom had, you know, had to be a waitress at 70, you know, I, I would have felt a little sad that uh, that she felt necessary. I, I only give credit to these women, but le- all I'm saying is let's not romanticize, which is what the president did. The president romanticized, right? We can all be proud. There's no exception. Having all these 76 million American women in the workforce, ah, it's a source of pride, but it's, it's not necessarily a source of pride. Choice is a source of pride in terms of work. But not the fact of so many women in in the workforce. That's not a source of pride. So why did the president say it? The president's a Republican. The president's wife is not in the workforce. So, and, and does and chooses not to be. She 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 wanted to be at home making a home, and raising their youngest child. So why did the president say it? I'm not sure actually, but. I, I have a more perhaps an equally or more interesting question. Why did all the Republicans, many of whose wives are full-time moms and, and homemakers, why did they stand up and cheer? And I have a theory. Uh, one of the theories is that if there had been a picture of a Republican congressman sitting while everybody was cheering about women in the workforce, you would have seen a picture of that in every major newspaper, on the internet, on the news. Congressman so-and-so sits while the country cheers, a Republican president even, announcing about how good it is that, all, that a record number of women are in the American workforce. The pressure to cheer was too overwhelming. But they didn't think it through. And again, my question, if you're going to cheer the record number of women, then why wouldn't you cheer that every woman was in the workforce? you got to answer that question, and you have to answer it well, otherwise my point is valid. Maybe it's not worth standing up and cheering for. The fact is, ever since I was in college, the emphasis was so obvious that a, a, a girl should aspire, a young woman should aspire to a career. The old aspiration of dreaming about a wedding day and children is no longer regarded as worthy of a sophisticated young woman. She should be thinking about career. Just happened yesterday, again, in a restaurant. There was a 24-year-old attractive, intelligent, vibrant, and terrific as a waitress. I mean, she, she had a lot going for her. She was, in every way, she was exemplary. So I asked her her age, said 24, so I said, let me ask you a question. I ask this of almost any woman I meet in her 20s, and, uh, you know, you don't have to answer, obviously, but everybody answers. It's not 
I'm not asking a personal question really about her life, but about her, her thoughts. So I, I asked a question, which I always ask women in their 20s, if you could be guaranteed, again, you, gar- you guaranteed one of them. It doesn't mean you cannot have the other. I explain that all the time. But one is guaranteed, either a great marriage or a great career, which guarantee would you take? Without a moment of hesitation, great career. I'm not even sure I want to get married, she said. I'm just, I'm just focused on career. I made a mistake in not asking her what career it was. Obviously, I'm sure she wasn't thinking about a lifetime of being a waitress or server, as they now say. So I, I don't know what exactly, but whatever it might be, I don't, for all I know, it's, you know, a neurosurgeon. I, I have no idea what, what career she was anticipating. But nevertheless, it was, it was so clear to her that marriage was not important. As, whereas, you know, two generations ago, and three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten and throughout recorded Western history, of course, a woman would have said uh, a, a great marriage. So to which, of course, the modern response is, well, they were wrong. Too bad. Their options were closed. But again, I'm for options. No woman should be coerced into staying at home. It's a terrible idea. But the question is, if without coercion, what works? And especially not even, you don't want a guarantee of a, of a good marriage? You know, that that is one of the great guarantees. Not there are not many great marriages. I mean, there are many, but percentage-wise, it's, it's it may not be. I don't think it's fifty percent. It's it's you got to have two special people to have a great marriage. You have to in order. I want to talk about that. Put that down. What 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 makes a marriage work? And having been divorced, I know what works and what doesn't work. In fact, I, I come to it with greater expertise than somebody who's just had one very happy long marriage. They may not know. My parents were married 69 years. If you'd have asked them, what's the secret to a happy long marriage? They had one answer and they were right. Luck. <laughs> so uh, that and two mature people helps. So I, I was uh, I was thinking about the, the maturity part. But anyway, back to this. So they cheered because they're happy women aren't at home. Let's be honest. That's that's the case. But I, I got a bunch of questions. Are women happier today? I I had a I write a column every week, and if you like the fireside chat, I promise you'll like my column each week. You could find it on my website, a town hall, National Review, American Greatness. I mean it, it's it's printed in a lot of places. And I, 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 I never did this in 25 years of column writing. I never did this. This was the only time. I, all I did is transcribe a phone call to my radio show. A 50-year-old woman called up, and she spoke about how she felt that she had been fooled because she bought the feminist line that career is what a woman should most aspire to, and she's had a very successful career, and she goes home to a home without a husband, without a family, and a career doesn't quite fill that hole. Of course it's not going to fill that hole. 
Now, there. Look, I know there are there are men and there are women who who just are very happy never getting married. I understand that. Although I have an answer to that too, because it is quite possible to be happy single for the your whole life. I understand that, and I want you to be happy. I wrote a book on happiness. But how do you know you wouldn't be happier with a good mate, with a good spouse? You don't know. How do you know that wouldn't be more fulfilling? Look, you know, some of the happiest marriages don't have children. But having children is still a deeper way to live a life than not having children. And uh, there are people I know without children whom I adore, who are spectacular people. There's no knock on them. And they would admit this. They would agree. just didn't work out for them to have kids. And kids can be a source of terrible pain. But you have to ask in life, do I want to live as deep a life as possible or as easy a life as possible? Easy and deep generally don't go together. I knew at a very young age, both for emotional and intellectual reasons, I wanted to get married. I, I knew it in high school. It was, I thought about it a lot in high school. Who's going to be the woman I'll marry? What kind of woman will I marry? What will it be like? And, and I wanted children at a very young age. I mean, I didn't get married until 32, but it's because it just didn't work out that I met somebody to, to marry. But I would have married earlier. Anyway, I don't know what there is to be proud of. I disagree with the president's statement, but what is most important is to analyze why the cheering was so lengthy. What if the president had said, we can all be proud of the fact that though American women have a choice, more women than ever have decided that they will devote the years that their children are young to, to running the house, to making sure that there is a happy home. What would, what, would the, would, what would the response be then? It wouldn't have been cheering. Oh, there might have been a few people who cheered. No Democrats. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Can you tell me what... Here's another question. What does society need more? More women CEOs or more women writers or more women... I'm giving glamorous professions. Or more children to be raised to be good people. My, my wife is a lawyer. She member, was a member of the bar. She's not practicing now. Uh, obviously went to law school, did very well, passed the bar first time in California, and all, all that stuff. My wife... And I feel funny saying it. She's brilliant. My wife is a is simply brilliant. And uh, she was a single mom when I met her. She was raising her two boys and the two the two girls of her sister who died in her thirties of cancer. She was a full time mom. And when I look at how her boys turned out, I I. 
I understand how advantageous that was. Now, that's not to say that full-time, any woman who's not a full-time mom is going to have troubled kids. That would be ridiculous. But you see, the wealthy can get away with it in some way, with nannies and with, with people taking, you know, supervising and everything. So a lot of times, a lot of these movements, I think environmentalism and feminism in particular, are move, movements of the wealthy. Believe me, a, a, a woman who goes to work every day and uh, is not in anything glamorous, not, not particularly in love with her work, but she goes because she has to. If you told her, you know, we're uh, tripling your husband's salary or doubling your husband's salary, you don't have to work at all now. You'll have the same exact income, and you can now stay at home and take care of the kids and take care of the home and take care of your marriage. I think a lot of women would, would be ecstatic. So, but you're almost not allowed to say anything that I just said. The pressure is so intense. Career, career, career. That's why they cheered even the Republicans. And as I write, my column is on this subject, my column this week, and I I wonder if I were in Congress whether I would have stood up and cheered. I find it very hard to fake anything because I, I would have known as soon as the president said it, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it. it it's, it's not a source of pride. Pride is that people have a choice whether to work or not. Not that a record number of women are working. Okie doke. Opening thoughts. Your questions now. Question time. James, 21, Fort Worth, Texas. How would you deal with climate alarmist professors? So I'll try to answer you literally. How would I deal if I were a student your age at a college and the teacher were telling us that there were, like, uh, like one congresswoman, whom I don't need to name, said the uh, in 12 years, uh, or is it the, the, the world will, life will be extinct or something like that. If I had a professor who spoke like that, it's a very good question, because I did take issue with professors, even if it did hurt my grades. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't just stand up and argue. I, I would say, here's something you might want to say, for example. Uh, okay, so professor, are you for nuclear power? That's my favorite question to ask the alarmists. Because if they really believe carbon emissions, fossil fuel is going to kill the world, make life as we know it almost extinct or extinct, the biggest advocates of nuclear power for energy should be the people who believe that fossil fuels are destroying the planet. But they're not. Nuclear power is spectacularly safe. Sweden, which is the model for many of these people, gets almost half of all its energy from nuclear power. So what do they know that we don't? Well, they're not hysterics. That's what they know. They know how, how relatively inexpensive, how effective, how clean nuclear energy is. It's unbelievably safe. Unbelievably safe. 
even Fukushima, the, the, the terrible example of a tsunami, I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and, and it, it did melt down, and we don't, have, we don't have a radiation death directly attributed among the workers at the, at the plant. It, it, this is a UN report from 2012 that I'm citing to you from. It's so this taught me something very early on on this issue because I'm not a climate scientist. If you really believe the earth is going to be extinct, that carbon emissions, fossil fuels are destroying your life, you, you, would, you should go crazy on behalf of nuclear power. So, professor, what, what do you say? And if the professor was oh, too dangerous. People would die uh, from uh, from radiation if it melted down and so on. Then you know the person is an is a hysteric, is an alarmist, that they are not scientifically credible. Secondly, even if the United States did everything possible, changed overnight like this Green New Deal wants, changed every house, everything to to uh, uh, to non fossil fuel, it would have no effect in in, in any. It, 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 virtually no effect on the temperature of the world. The United States is still a small percentage of humanity. Brandon, 33, Arizona, does the Constitution protect states from the tyranny of federal socialism? Constitution does protect the states, but it, it's the Constitution has been so violated in this matter that it, it's irrelevant. The Constitution says that unless something is specifically to be taken care of by the federal government, everything else is done by the states. This, has been viol- this was violated so early in the 20th century, nobody pays attention to it. Now, now everyone thinks, I mean, the very notion that the government should take care of your health, that's, that, that's not constitutional. It, it, that's, that is not something that, that the government is supposed to protect us. The government has monetary duties. But to take care of us, this was the opposite of what the, the founders of the United States believed in. The, they, they believed in a small government. I take care of me. I take care of my family. I take care of my community. And now people believe the government takes care of me. The government takes care of my family. The government takes care of my community. It, it, for the folks on the left, the Constitution is irrelevant. That's why they're trying to get rid of the uh, the um, electoral college. That's in the Constitution. Because we were not set up to be a democracy, we were set up to be a republic. That's why there are two senators from every state, even though some states have 2 million people and some states have 25 million people. Robbie, 38 Atlanta. Hello, Mr. Prager. How should I deal with the regret in life? Thanks for all your wisdom. Oh, that's a great question. That's a very tough question. My immediate response to you is, it is probably both healthy and unhealthy. It's healthy to have regrets because that means, you know what, I recognize that I did something wrong. But it's unhealthy to dwell on it because it's over. What, what, what good is it going to do you now? And at 38, you have a long life ahead, hopefully, to live in a way that you won't regret. My father had a good motto. He said, what is it? Um, If I'm ashamed of it, I don't do it. 
And if I do it, I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> it was a good. It was a good line. Uh, it uh, it it's not very helpful. And you may not even be right. Oh, you believe me. You know how many parents have regrets with the way they raise their kids? Eh, I would say about eighty-two point seven percent. But you know what? It's impossible to raise kids perfectly. It doesn't exist. And if you're the perfect parent, you are a big problem because how's a kid going to measure up to a perfect parent? So even if you're perfect, you're, you're a problem for your child. Emilio, 26, Toronto, Canada. My question is silly, but valid because I started smoking cigars because of Dennis. Where is the cigar? Thank you. Emilio, you made my day. I think cigars are awesome and extraordinarily safe. Yes, I know a handful of people get tongue cancer and so on. My God, the chances of you getting tongue cancer are, are, are so much slimmer than getting hit by a car crossing the street. But you cross the street and you do so because you, you take risks in order to, to function in life. Some risks are worth it. Cigarettes is not worthy a risk because it's inhaled. Cigars are not inhaled. They're just tasted in the mouth. Uh, and it's not a silly question. It's actually depressing. Uh, but we could not, uh, after the first 40 or so that I did with a cigar, which people just love because it's so, made it so much more, even more a, a home-like atmosphere. Uh, that we were told by Facebook that we couldn't promote the, uh, the videos if I'm smoking a cigar. I should have said it was marijuana, medical marijuana. Then, I, then I'm sure they would have been fine. That's the reason no more cigar. Julia, 17, Minnesota, can I hear your thoughts on the Green New Deal? I'll talk about that probably uh, next time or, or one of these times. Uh, it, it's, it's impossible to overstate how absurd it is. It's just an absurdity. Uh, it, 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 we would end up with a country that would be utterly broke, monetarily broke, dysfunctional, uh, and, uh, and it would be a tyranny. The government would control everything, including uh, what you did in your home uh, uh, in terms of power and so much else. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's hard to believe that anyone takes it seriously. The Wall Street Journal did a, a terrific uh, dissection of it, but maybe, and I did on my radio show. And by the way, I do want to remind all of you, I am on nationally uh, and internationally through the internet every day, three hours. And it, it is that is worth, uh, I think it's worth your listening. If you like this, you'll love that. Uh, so uh, check into where I am in your city. If I'm not on in your on a local station, I'm certainly on on the internet. Chanel, how much time? What's the time? 31. 31. I got to take this one. Yeah. Uh, can I? Of course. Chanel 20, Miami, Florida. Dennis, in class, the professor asked, in a moral society, should billionaires exist? My stance is yes, of course, but what would be a good philosophical reasoning? Well, sometimes a question is best answered with a question. So, in a moral society, should millionaires exist? What that person is really asking is, in a moral society, should there be income inequality? And, of course, the answer is yes, if you want a free society. In a free society, people are free to make a billion dollars. I have no problem with that. 
and I'm not a rich man. I'm certainly not a poor man, but I'm not a rich man. And it never in my life for one day struck me as awful that there are billionaires in society. It has no impact on my life. I've always asked one question. Are my basic material needs met? And if the answer was yes, I was a happy dude. The notion, what, what has happened here is there is an enormous jealousy of people earning more. And people want to tear that down. Of course, in a moral society, people could earn a billion dollars. If the poorest in the society have health care and food and shelter and air conditioning and heating and a car, then why shouldn't there be billionaires? By the way, if we took all the money from billionaires away, it would have no impact. We would just get rid of billionaires, but we wouldn't be helping anybody else. The government would just have more money to waste or spend on giveaways to get more votes, which is another subject. I will talk to you about a very important thing, how the left-wing supreme value of equality has caused more death, torture, and enslavement than even racism in the 20th century. I know it's hard to believe, but I will prove it to you, it, and it doesn't take long. Communism killed more people uh, in the 20th century than anything else, and its great ideal was equality. I can live with billionaires and non-billionaires. I, uh, I, I like it because it means I live in a free society, and I love liberty. Okay, everybody, I want to remind you that PragerU videos are worth seeing more than once. <laughs> They're very important. They come out every week. I'd like to remind you of my work. Volume 2 is coming out. Volume 1 came out last year, The Rational Bible. It is the greatest source of wisdom in the history of the world. Without wisdom, you can't be a good or happy person. Wisdom is the key to everything. And I have a... That's another one. Let me do one. Where do you get your wisdom from? Wisdom is, what is life about? How do I lead a good life? Thanks for watching. I'm Dennis Prager. See you next week. Thank you for watching. If you'd like to keep these fireside chats free, please do by donating to PragerU.